which is thus God's word. It is so good to see you. <clears throat> it looks like I sang too loud and too high. <clears throat> it's okay, he said if things don't go perfect, he was introducing me. So here I am. <clears throat> good to have you here. We are in week four of this I Am series, the statements and claims of Jesus, and we're looking at I Am the Good Shepherd. We're going to jump right in with a quick poll question. I want you to answer this one. Here's the two question Quick poll, the first one. Question number one, how many of you think our world is full of unhappy, dissatisfied people? Okay, those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'm glad you're so happy. <laughs> Question number two is multiple choice. Don't answer until I go through them. Question two, why are there so many unhappy people? A, they're not looking for the good life. B, they are looking for the good life in all the wrong places. C, there is no such thing as the good life. How many of you think A? Okay, how many of you think B? How many of you think C? Hmm, and how many of you didn't play the game? <laughs> all right, all right. It's just to get us started, our thought for today, it's a big one, is this, if you want the good life, follow the good shepherd. If you want the good life, follow the good shepherd. We've got huge claims that we're going to be taking a look at. There's just one problem with following the good shepherd and experiencing that good life, and that is that you have to trust the good shepherd more than you trust your own guidance. That's huge. So if you want the good life to shift into trusting the good shepherd, shepherd more than you trust your own guidance, that's a big step, but you don't have to take that huge leap all at once. You give him a chance to show that you, he, he's trustworthy. You, you check him out to see if he's worth your trust and your trust grows, like in every relationship. Some people think, I don't, can't believe in God, can't even try to believe in God, can't believe in Jesus, I just don't believe in Jesus, so they think there's no hope. You can get to know Jesus to see if you trust him more and trust him more, just like getting to know somebody in a relationship. That's my theory, I'm sticking with it. Hope that helps you a little bit. We are going to be compared with sheep, don't be offended. The whole Bible constantly does this, comparing the people who are following God with sheep. And there's a good reason for this. I could give you all kinds of illustrations and examples, but I ran into this one years and years ago. Maybe you've seen this before. Watch this shepherd and sheep. Kind of stuck there. Ooh, all right. <laughs> How many of you have seen that one before? Okay, yeah, it's old. Some of you have seen it before, but that's a really good description of us. If you've ever <laughs> been in a ditch that God pulled you out of, have you ever been back to that ditch? <laughs> See? That's what we're talking about. So don't be offended that we're being compared with sheep. So I, I did bring a visual illustration today. Oh. <laughs> All right. Here's a little sheep. And I want us to just do a little comparison so that it helps us not be offended. Here's a sheep. Here's me. 
The difference between the sheep's intelligence and my intelligence is minuscule. And this is a stuffed sheep. (laughs) Uh, The reason I say that is because I think it's condescending that God would lower himself down to be considered as the difference between a shepherd who knows more than a sheep. When you think about it, I mean, here's me, here's God, and the brightness of me is like a birthday candle compared to the maker of the sun. the, The difference is huge. In a word, he can create the sun and all the stars and suns and the intelligence behind that compared to me, a sheep, that is so much huge. That's a margin of difference. It's massive. So when we now get compared to God as our shepherd, I think that's kind of encouraging that we would be considered his sheep and worth so much. So there's gonna be a number of things about sheep that, Uh, Perhaps you'll run into, I'll just name a few as to why um, they're often a really good comparison because sheep are prone to wander even with a shepherd. And I am too. Okay? My name is Jim Hammond. I am prone to wander. And maybe you don't think you are but maybe you aren't looking in the mirror enough, the mirror of God's word, to to know how much you wander as well. Maybe you only consider wandering outward behavior, not your thoughts and not your attitudes or all those kinds of things, but I'm prone to wander. You're probably prone to wander too. Here's something else. Sheep will go after that which is immediate satisfaction and totally ignore how that immediate satisfaction has a cost to it about the future. Sheep do that. And they'll just start nibbling on thistles. And there's a cost to them. And so I do that too. I will go for the here and now and completely forget that my shepherd is leading me to not just the right full life now, but a complete different destination that he is leading me to that every step is about living this eternal kind of life. I not only forget the future, but I completely don't have an eternal perspective when I'm doing the stuff that I'm doing right now for me. I'm like frequently forgetting forever. Do you do that? Frequently forgetting forever? And I also frequently forget there's predators. Predators in the night. Predators in the dark. Predators I can't see. I need a shepherd. Anybody else kind of feel like you need one too? This is what we're talking about. Our key passage is in John chapter 10, verse 10 through 11. It reads this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Clearly, we need a good shepherd. 
Now, a good thing for us to do when I grab a key verse like that is always to figure out what is the context here and what is he saying and how does it fit in that context and we're gonna jump into the beginning of chapter 10 and pick up this context but that context actually begins in chapter eight where we were last week. Last week he made the big claim, I am the light of the world and then what happened in chapter nine? We didn't go there. And we're now in chapter 10. Well, I just need to let you know, the context of chapter nine is huge for what he says here in chapter 10. Because after this big conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees, when he claims these huge claims that he is the light of the world, this big conflict, he goes and substantiates his claim by performing a miracle in John chapter nine. He heals a guy who's living in the darkness from the day he was born until he's an adult. And Jesus goes up to a guy who's blind. All he knows is darkness and the light of the world heals him. So this guy now has been healed from blindness as if proving the fact that Jesus isn't just blowing air when he says, I am the light of the world. He substantiates his claim with power. You know what happens next? The Pharisees try to figure out if this verifiable miracle really happened and they investigate people, then they investigate him, then they investigate his parents and they come back to investigating him. And you know what they end up doing to this guy who now is seeing? They kick him out officially. That, the word for that is excommunicate. They kick him out of the synagogue officially. That's the context of where now Jesus begins to weigh in on some things. And so we're gonna pick up this transition between chapter nine and chapter 10. A lot of times we'll flip a page in scripture and it just go from chapter nine to chapter 10 and we don't realize that it's connected and that the numbers are arbitrary uh, that people put them there for us to be able to look up stuff? Well, watch this one as we read from nine to 10. Here's what Jesus does after the Pharisees excommunicate the guy that he just healed. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Now we turn to chapter 10, but it's just immediately upon saying that, very truly I say to you, I tell you Pharisees. So he's speaking to the Pharisees now in rebuttal to what they've just done, excommunicated the guy. Anyone who does not Enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, that only starts the conversation, but this is his response to the Pharisees who excommunicated the guy. What did he do wrong? He trusted in Jesus. That's what he did wrong. And in trusting in Jesus, they don't, They can't do anything about the miracle. They can't do anything about what people think of Jesus, so they excommunicate the guy who trusts in Jesus. And so Jesus is not gonna be silent about that. And so he begins to tell this story about a community sheep pen 
where all these flocks are gathered in a pen and there's a gatekeeper and he tells a story about how the gatekeeper will let the shepherd in and the shepherd will call his sheep by name and they will come right to him and follow him out of the pen. And then he starts talking about anybody who comes in a different way, who the gatekeeper doesn't know, who the gatekeeper hasn't let in, and if they're in among the sheep pen trying to get sheep to follow them, they're either a stranger or a thief or a hireling, and he just tells this story, and the Pharisees don't get what the point is. But everybody else who has come to the place where they're starting to believe the claims of Jesus and they've watched what he's done with the blind man, they get the point that the Pharisees miss. The sheep, the blind man, trusted Jesus more than the Pharisee. People who began to see what was taking place are seeing, I think I trust this man Jesus more than the Pharisee also. And the Pharisees are trying to lay down their foot on this thing that's being propagated by this man. He can't be right, but as they're watching, they trust the Pharisees less and Jesus more. And Jesus is not done yet talking about sheep pens, but he shifts gears at verse 7, and he's not talking about a community sheep pen anymore. Point number one is this, his sheep trust and follow him. The Pharisees didn't get it, but the people who are beginning to trust Jesus more than the Pharisees did not miss the point. His sheep trust and follow him. Why? John 10, 3, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. But Jesus is not done. Let's go to verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate of the sheep. Now, in the earlier story, he was the shepherd going through the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate. In this, when there's a shift of description of the kind of pen, he is the gate. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Pharisees are still there listening. It's starting to get more uncomfortable because they can tell I don't think they get all the points, but they can tell this is aimed at them. Now, a little bit of background. How could Jesus be the gate and the shepherd? Actually, he changes uh, a little bit of a description of the sheep pen in a way that's very familiar in their day. The community sheep pen is one thing, and there'd be different herds from different shepherds held together in the town, and a gatekeeper guards it. When Jesus comes in to call his own out of that sheep pen, they follow him where? Into the pastures, into the field. And a common practice in the pastures and in the field at night, when they stay in the night, is shepherds would build a temporary holding pen by stacking rocks in a rock wall in a circular shape, maybe against a, a 
cliff, making it a half circle a little easier to build, or maybe even a cave, a small indentation, and just block it off, except for leaving one small opening. And in that opening, at night, the shepherd would sit himself down or even sleep right in the opening. Now, on the half wall, they would also usually stack up on top of it thorn brush so that the sheep aren't trying to get over or predators aren't even seeing in or wanting to climb over themselves. So Jesus, in context, is standing in the gap. He's saving a sheep that he's called out of a community pen that is a closed religious system of the Pharisees' own making. Different from the pen of old covenant Judaism. Much more narrow, much more constricting, much more damaging. Of course the sheep aren't trusting the Pharisees. Jesus is calling it out and calling them to come out of that and follow me, the good shepherd. And he's saying, follow me and you will be saved, protected. So come out of the Pharisees' religious pen of fear and follow the good shepherd, the shepherd they have been waiting for. Now here's the part that a lot of us, we miss Here's Ezekiel, ancient prophecy, 34:23. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, Ezekiel's written long after King David lived and died. This is a prophecy about the lineage of King David, which other prophecies preceded it, where everybody's expecting the son of David, an ancestor of David, to be the coming Messiah and Savior and King. And now this good shepherd is saying, I am the good shepherd. And so come out of this. There's something wrong about this. You can see it. There's hirelings. There's thieves. They're out to destroy rather than protect Come out of this and follow me. Point number two. He is the gate. He is the gate. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Now, we normally kind of get stuck on just this is the only aspect of the gate. It saves us. We get through there and we get saved. But remember, he also taught, and you will come in and go out through the gate. There's a coming in and going out. It's about a whole deal. It's about being saved out of that mess that was destroying you, whatever it is. And it's also about following me and I'm gonna give you everything you need, you sheep. Everything you need to succeed, everything you need for life and godliness, everything you need in my kingdom, follow me. So everything you need is what you receive when you follow me. Now, at night, in the darkness of the dark night predators, I am the one that will lay down my life to protect you. I am the gate. I will be the thing that stops between the dark predators and you. I am the gate. So you come in for salvation, yes, but you also go out for everything you need. I am all of it, and he's claiming it all to be the gate. But I want us to focus on the word whoever. That is so inclusive. Whoever enters through me 
will be saved. Now, just a few sentences later, in verse 16, he says this, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen, that community sheep pen of the old covenant, the Israelite sheep pen, the one that the Pharisees were making a mess of it. I have sheep from another pen, he says, and I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And of course, we know from the rest of the Gospels and Jesus' proclamation that he went global, and he's now reaching the Gentiles. That's a big word for everybody that's not Jewish, okay? How many of you are kind of glad that he is opening it to the Gentiles. I mean, I am glad. That means that I can follow, whereas before, it was exclusive. God was only revealing himself in that very powerful way through his word to his people, preparing for a time when he's going global, and now he's going global with this good shepherd. He's referring to us. So, how many of you have been listening so far? All right. Tag, you're it. You've just been called by the shepherd who invites you into this thing because you're a whoever. You just heard the gospel call. He's just calling you to come out of the Gentile pen and to follow him. And just like the Jewish pen, not all the Jews followed him and came out of their Jewishness to experience a revolution of the fulfillment of Judaism in Jesus. But we've been called out of our Gentileness to follow Jesus, and not everybody out of the Gentileness are going to follow either. But it's open to whoever, from wherever you are, as he leads us to wherever he wants us to be. It's inclusive. Tag, you're it. So you got to decide, am I going to move on what I'm hearing today? It's kind of important. Point number three. He gives life to the full. He gives life to the full. Again, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Think the Pharisees. Press down this religion. All you got to do is do this perfectly. And as long as you do this perfectly, you get into heaven. And it doesn't work according to the gospel, according to Romans, it says, all have sinned and fall short. None of us do it perfectly. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So everything that the Jewish people were expecting about the Messiah and what he would be like is a little different and far bigger than they expected. And Jesus is beginning to deliver statement after statement after statement to blow their mind and expand their thinking. And also he knows it cause his own crucifixion because that's how they're going to receive life to the full. Point number four. So how is it that he will give us life to the full? He lays down his life for you, his sheep. He lays down his life for you, his sheep. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. By his death, he's going to take away our sins. He fulfilled the entire Old Testament temple system of sacrifice by becoming the sacrifice. 
and he would die a particular kind of death that he was quite aware what it would be. And just because he's a good student of scripture, he's aware, but he's also aware from his good relationship with his heavenly father, which was begun not when he was an adult, not when he came to earth, but from eternity past, we discussed this last week, from before the foundation of the earth, God let him know this is what it's going to take. We're going to talk about that now. Now, scripture-wise, Jesus is quite aware of Psalm 22, even quotes it while he's on the cross. He's quite aware of Isaiah 53. You need to know Psalm 22, that's B.C. 1000. Uh, Isaiah is like B.C. 700-ish. And both of these are just all about how Jesus is going to die. He's not unaware. He knows what he's come to do. And just to remind us, I'm going to read Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew this was what he was headed for. He's going to give us life to the full. How? By laying down his life for the sheep. Let's read verse 14 and 15 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Take a look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and check this out authority to take it up again. This command I received from the Father, my Father. Jesus knows what he's about when he's making these massive statements about who he is. He knows that he's marching to the cross. He knows that his death on the cross is going to be a sacrificial death voluntarily laid down that nobody takes it from him, that if he wanted to, he could just squash all the soldiers, squash everybody else that's coming against him and judge them. He has the right to do that, but he voluntarily does not do that so that all lost sheep have a chance to be saved. Jesus, by the way, also says later in this chapter, the mind-blowing statement, I and the Father are one. Now, he's been talking about how he's the good shepherd, but that's tense when the Pharisees know the scripture is filled with uh, statements about how God is the shepherd of Israel. And then Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus is one and the same as the Lord and shepherd of Psalm 23. Some of us memorize Psalm 23. I, I now don't ever say I memorized this. I'm always memorizing and I have to work at it again. It's like, and it's a harder work. Psalm 23, Jesus is the Lord, as in Yahweh, of Psalm 23, I and the Father are one. He is also the same Lord and shepherd of Isaiah 40. I'm not going to have this on the screen, so pay attention. 
These are excerpts from Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Her sin has been paid for. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. You will bring good news to Zion. Lift up your voice with a shout. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So he is with sweeping statements in John over and over and over again, saying things that from a Pharisaic perspective is blasphemous. How could a man standing right before us say these things if that man in flesh is also the son of God? He can. And just as he proved that he's the light of the world, he's going to prove that he's the son of God by doing precisely what he says he can do. He's going to voluntarily lay his life down and he's going to, with the authority given to him by God, raise it up again. It's the resurrection that changed everything for us. It's the most verifiable miracle of all. The empty tomb, the huge movement, the, all the questions about what happened immediately after he's crucified and all these people have seen him, it starts the revolution and this huge one flock of Jesus begins to follow the one who has saved them, the good shepherd who has loved them, the one who has predicted it in advance that he would lay his life down for them and die a horrible death in their place to take away judgment and release us and forgive us and fill us with that same resurrection power in his personhood through the Holy Spirit he pours out upon us. I am the good shepherd. Come out, whoever you are, and follow me. Doesn't matter. You've done that? You're feeling shame? I died for you. It pays for that shame. It pays for that thing that you think you can never forgive yourself. I forgive you. If I forgive you, you can forgive yourself. I will wash you clean. Just as light of the world displaces darkness, there's no darkness anymore. There's no shadow that taints you. You are now in me and I am in you. Come Follow me. Don't know if you believe in me? Try me. Give me a chance to show you how good I am. Talk to me. I'll show you more about me so that you can get to know me as good. Then you will trust me. We're going places forever. I'm going to take you home. If you want the good life, follow the good shepherd. Perhaps you're new here and 
this is a bit much for you. (laughs) You weren't quite expecting this, but something inside of you is saying, I need to know more. Well, we're serious about that card in the chair in front of you. As a guest, fill it out. Take it to the information table. We'll follow up with you. We'll try to give you some steps. Prayer team, if you go to the left of the stage right now, if you got something that's heavy right now, see how good the shepherd is. Let people pray for you. Let's just see what God will do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son. Lord Jesus, we thank you for obeying your father and loving us so, and loving your father so, to be the good shepherd who lays down his life for each of us. We're so grateful that you conquered death and you conquered sin and you release us from our guilt and you teach us to follow you. We want to know your goodness, trust you more so that we really can turn away from our own silly, stupid, disastrous self-guidance. We got to learn your way, hear your voice, Learn to trust what you say. Help us. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you next week for the next one.